Hello and welcome to episode 116 of the Live to Walk Again podcast. My name is Jeremy Dixon, your host as always, and today I am by myself. I, you know, I give these guys a week off, everybody. Now it's, oh, I'm sick. We had a snowstorm. I can't make it. We can't get on Zoom. My throat hurts, this and that. Anyway, I'm here for you. We're going to still tell some stories. Have a great guest today. Fantastic gentleman named Brock Mueller who has one of the most tragic stories, you know, it's mind-blowing, the loss that he, I guess, him and his family dealt with, and the fact that he was able to overcome and, you know, reach the goals that he was able to reach, Um, you know, his, his, uh, he was able to work with, with our guy Mike Barwis from Barwis Methods, who at the time was, uh, the strength and conditioning coach at the University of Michigan, where his uh, younger brother, who was in the accident with him, w- had just signed to play football there. And so he was able to, you know, these guys, the, the coaching staff from the University of Michigan came to visit him in the hospital, uh, you know, right after they were hired. It, it's just, it's such a, a great story uh, of the, of, of just, yeah, these these guys being willing to work with with Brock, and just do anything they can to help him walk again, and, and to really motivate him to walk again, to you know not to kind of do away with other. You know, he he tells a story in there about how uh, when Mike Barwis came to visit him in the hospital, that uh, he's like, well, when, you know, when whenever you're ready to get up and start walking again, you know, like come work out, we'll, we'll get you up and going. And he said, you know, the physical therapist was like, no, don't, don't say that. Don't say that. Cause you know, you're going to give him false hope. And, and he was just like, whatever, I'm, we're going to get him going again. So, um, you know, and, and Mike Barwis and, and Nick Lucius and the guys over there at Barwis methods have gotten, I mean, they've worked with so many, so many people now that, that have neurological disorders and gotten them walking again. So, uh, you know, Brock is really patient zero. He's it seems like he's the motivation for for this this business model that that uh, that Mike Barwis started, and and it's you know I mean even though the tragedy that came from from this accident for Brock and his family, um, you know it's doing a lot of good, and, and really they're I mean inadvertently paying it forward to the the hundreds and and maybe thousands of people that that get help from from Mike Barwis and and what he does so um you know I'm really excited for you guys to hear it Ricardo we were having some technical issues trying to get on zoom so I just went ahead and did this but Ricardo wanted me to make sure and say that it's a long interview but it's very very good and it doesn't feel very long. Like it's com- very compelling. You, you know, Brock's a great storyteller, and um, you know some of the stuff that he went through is is pretty uh, earth shattering. So um, I'm, I'm thankful that he was willing to come on and and talk to us. It, w- it was a great interview, like I said. And Ricardo said, "Don't just take my word for it." Uh, but then the other thing I wanted to mention um, is that a friend of mine and a, and a fan of the show like he always would 
would uh, comment, you know, text me to, to let me know that how, how much he, he appreciated what we were doing, and just kind of what liked what we were doing on the show. And, and you know, he, a guy named Matt Van Camp, uh, great guy. He, he was uh, on a ventilator, had a spinal cord injury since the 80s, um, he's local here in Olympia. He uh, passed away a couple days before Christmas, and I definitely want to dedicate this episode to him, and um, I hope he rests in peace. You know, hope hope uh, you know want to pass our condolences along to his family. I hope they're they're uh, getting through. And yeah, well, without further ado, get to get to Brock Mueller here. Um, hope everyone had a great New Year and and a Merry Christmas, and we will. Uh, talk to you guys next week. No outro on this this episode, but uh, yeah, rest in peace, Matt. This week on the Live to Walk Again podcast, we are lucky enough to visit with Brock Mueller, who is a spinal cord injury survivor and a keynote speaker. Brock, welcome to the show, man. Thank you so much for joining me. Thank you, Jeremy. I appreciate you having me on and getting a chance to to talk with you. It's been a long couple of years and a lot, a lot uh, less interaction, but I still can appreciate getting on, on and uh, chatting video wise. So I appreciate it. Yeah. Yeah. It's great. I'm glad we were able to, uh, to make this happen. Um, you know, I know everybody who suffers a spinal cord injury has you know, a tragic story and yours is on another level from from most that I've heard of. Uh, you know, for anybody that doesn't already know your your story, can you tell us a little bit about how you were injured and kind of the the ramifications of that uh, on the bigger scale with your family? Sure, sure. Yeah, my story started, which I can never believe. I've talked to a lot of people that had that, uh, at, at least when it comes to tragedy, had this similar perspective looking back on the injury but it's been uh will actually be 14 years since my injury uh this christmas eve and so it's it was 2007 on christmas eve i was with my family Uh, at that time i was 23 years old i was about to graduate from uh, ohio state university and get my business degree uh the following following couple of months i had one more quarter left but as I said, my family and I were at a Christmas party and my mom, my dad, uh, my younger brother, Elliot, and his girlfriend, Hollis, they were also, uh, she was also with our family that night. And Elliot had just taken a full ride scholarship to play football at the University of Michigan, uh, Ohio State's bitter football rival. Mm-hmm. And that had happened uh, around Thanksgiving, November, October, that fall. Um, but he was really excited to finally graduate high school the following year and, and head off to college, uh, let alone to go play football at a D1 program. But uh, when we left our Christmas party that night, uh, we just never, ever, ever expected anything to happen like what happened. And we were hit by a 90 plus year old driver that ran through a stop sign about two miles from home. And our car, uh, actually, we were T-boned and, and it rolled. Um, I blacked out. I had heard several members of my family um, scream out, you know, just with the, with the accident. But I didn't come to until I don't know how long later, probably a good 10 or 15 minutes later that I came to and still didn't 
know what had happened or really fully understand what happened. And I certainly didn't know what had happened to me uh, until uh, they brought the jaws of life. I was, I was pulled from the accident and had, uh, I remember the paramedic telling me that I was going to, I was about to experience excruciating pain. And like I said, I was just still in the car. Um, and from what I remember still buckled in my seat, I felt trapped in my seat, but I did realize I couldn't lift myself out of the car, but it was, it was on its side. And so he told me I was going to experience, experience excruciating pain. And I was very confused, but, uh, when they did finally pull me out of that chair, uh, out of the seat, passenger seat of the car, um, it was, it was the most excruciating pain in my life and especially being laid out and then carried to an ambulance. Um, I was taken to the hospital. I was told that uh, my brother's girlfriend passed away and my father passed away in the accident. Uh, my older brother was there with me and uh, I don't remember any, any words being spoken. Uh, we were just both um, trying. And, and as I said, still at that point, almost an hour later, had no idea what had really happened to me in my body in that accident. Um, I woke, I went to surgery that night and I woke up, uh, about eight or nine hours later and it was Christmas morning. And then I was told I would never walk again and that I was paralyzed, uh, from the waist down. Uh, the surgeon told me that it was one of the worst ones she had dealt with just because of the shattering. I, I was injured at T12 L1 and, uh, I also had broken my right arm um, and I was, I was told, you know, a lot of things that I've heard other people have been told, including that you will never walk again, but that life will be different for you. You know, that there's going to be all kinds of things that you're going to need on top of being in a wheelchair. And um, it wasn't until later after doing the testing that they do that, that I found out I was incomplete, but I was an Asia B so they said, while I wasn't complete, it was, you know, as close as you can get to a complete um, without being that. And, and so, um, like most people, I think I just, uh, it, it was a, a long struggle, not only dealing with the realization of the injury, but the realization of what else had transpired in that accident. Um, that was the most difficult part is the loss of life I was dealing with and, and the tragedy of, of having that Christmas that uh, was uh, just terribly tragic, unlike any other that I had heard of or experienced, certainly. Wow. That, I mean, yeah, that it's the heartbreaking uh, story that you have, uh, Brock, that I couldn't even imagine. Um, I, you know, like, cause my thoughts go to, you know, like this injury is like the most like life altering thing that someone can go through for the most part. Um, and, and, and for the family, the extended family, everything that goes along with that, I'm just trying to imagine like what you and your family were going through while you're trying to deal with like the new reality of, of having this injury while also dealing with the loss of, of like you said, your father. And, and you know, how, how did your mother, were, were your mother or your brother injured at all in the, the accident, uh, um, at least physically? My, my brother actually injured his shoulder, but that was actually from trying to get the vehicle turned up right to try and 
get me out or find out if I was okay. Uh, he had torn, torn his shoulder. Uh, my mom, my mom was okay. Uh, I think she probably had some bruises, but, but luckily, um, you know, she was, she was all right in, in that, uh, scenario. I think, as you said, I'm dealing with some of the new realities I had in life at that time, but, uh, my older brother spent a lot of time with me. And meanwhile, my mom, of course, became a widow. She was dealing with those things. And so a lot of the time that first, especially that first week, she wasn't able to be there. And, and, uh, and, and the same for my brother with the loss of his girlfriend, he had spent a lot of time with her family and, and, and also just like me losing our dad, uh, dealing with those things. I think the, even harder than the injury itself was probably being in the hospital while my dad's funeral happened. And that was again, something that even, even after I think the first month, none of what happened in my life was real to me. I expected to wake up at some point from the nightmare I was in that, uh, you know, I drifted asleep in the car and this was a very trippy dream. I mean, just that, that it was, not real. And I mean, I, I clung to that, I think probably for the three months I was in the hospital and it wasn't until I returned to uh, my parents' home that I really broke down and, and had to take in all of these things that had happened, that my dad was really gone, that we were in this accident, that I really did go through all the physical therapy, all the pain that I felt was all, those were all real things that have happened. And, and it's not going away. I'm not going to snap a finger and wake up and, and go back to the life I knew before. And as you said, it is, it's a, a you know, a life altering thing. And certainly in my case, it was unique in the, in the way it happened. But, uh, but I have I've talked to so many people that have had um, gone through that. And, and I, as I'm sure, you know, it really does. It feels like you're the only person on the planet that had ever has, is going through this. And I, I did meet many people and even at the hospital. And as I said, I don't think they could really get through to me that, hey, I went through a similar circumstance because I still hadn't even accepted, you know, this new reality yet. But I did stay in touch with those people and was able to to really connect with them on a deeper level uh, later on as I as I dealt with this new life moving forward. And it did help immensely. But I had to deal with the mental and emotional side you know, in my own way to get, to get there. Right. Yeah. That, that's just, it's, that's mind boggling, Brock. I can't even, I mean, yeah, putting myself in, in your shoes, like I would just be, I couldn't even imagine. I couldn't imagine. Um, you know, you, you said that the doctor said that it was your, one of the worst spinal cord injuries she had seen uh, up until that point. Uh, how long were, after you had like the fusion for your spinal cord and the surgery and everything, were you able to get into rehab? Like, what was that? Like, I know you said you were in the hospital for three months. So I'm assuming that's rehab and uh, initial surgery and stuff. Yeah. How, how long before you actually started rehab and, and how did, and then that's the other thing. Like I can't like in, when you're in rehab, it's like your, your whole focus has to be on, you know, healing and, and getting stronger and, and all of that stuff. And, and let alone dealing with, yeah, with the loss of your father at the same time, it's gotta be just incredibly difficult. Yeah, I, I did 
feel really blessed. I had immense support, I think, even at the hospital. I mean, even when I came home, but at the hospital, especially, I was in Ann Arbor about an hour and a half from home. I had so many friends and even community members, maybe that I didn't know that well, that would, you know, send things to me. Um, I mean, my room was filled with all kinds of uh, banners and, and just symbols of support but I had visitors and people and, and, uh, and it really helped, helped me stay focused on, on the healing process. Um, it, it certainly, I mean, it did help, but I mean, certainly it was the hardest thing I've ever done in my life, but I spent somewhere eight or nine days, I think about a, just over a week in Toledo after my surgery, uh, I had to get off of the strong pain medication to get transferred to Ann Arbor to the university of Michigan hospital. And, uh, I think it was just over a week when I finally was able to do that because that was something else I dealt with that, um, you know, it, it gets really difficult. Um, like I said, I was in excruciating pain, but even those next few days, it would come on as nerve pain, as burning, as just a crushing pain on my legs. And I would need this really strong medication to to heat, to feel better. And so it messes with your mind like and it made me think, do I really need the pain medication or do I just want that, that drug or what's going on? I've never even had a surgery in my life prior to that. Um, I also had my, my right arm worked on during that period, but I did get just over a week, I was able to get transferred to Michigan. I know in Toledo, I did do some physical therapy. I don't remember much of it. I think it was basically just sitting upright for a few minutes with some help and then laying back down and sitting up again. Uh, but when I got to Michigan, I really got into the PT and the OT and those things. And I really did. It, it was all really a blur, um, almost like I was on a or just like robotic. Almost. I, I would go to physical therapy and do whatever they asked me to do. And, and again, I didn't, I didn't really even believe any of it was real. So it was just like, oh yeah, I'm just going through this step-by-step -step process, do whatever you want. Um, uh, but I did, you know, get up, uh, standing a lot in the standing frame, which was miserable, yeah. um, lightheaded pain in the legs the, the pain that I felt, uh, sometimes was just random. Sometimes it was brought on by the standing frame, getting locked into those knee pads and, and, and feeling that pressure in my legs. Um, but it, it started to fade, get more numb, um, towards the end of my inpatient hospital stay, I really started to, to really feel paralysis in terms of not is starting to feel nothing at all, you know, and it was such a hard thing to say, Oh, that's good. You're feeling excruciating pain. That's something, right? Well, then once you start to feel nothing, then you almost do wish for, okay, I'll take the, the burning pain. That's really, really bad rather than the nothing. But I did, I did a lot of standing. Um, it's, it did take a, a good solid month for me to be able to actually just hold my balance and sit upright on my own without, you know, without a back, uh, a backing holding me and, or a nurse holding me. Um, but so I did a lot of, of that. Uh, I, before I left the hospital, I did learn to transfer with just, just one arm because my, my other I, arm was, I was going to ask about that. Yeah. Being, being a paraplegic and trying to move from, yeah, transfer yourself. That's gotta be difficult with only one arm. Yeah, it, it was, I, I, and they didn't think necessarily I could do it. And I, I thought I could, but I also didn't realize 
if somebody wants to try to do a just to simulate a transfer, it's pretty easy when your legs aren't dead weight. But when you actually have your legs as dead weight, now all of a sudden it it becomes a lot more difficult. And and I didn't I didn't realize that, but I think it was a benefit for me because I didn't believe I couldn't do it. I believed I could do it. And even though it was really hard, I eventually did. I mean, leaning way forward and just throwing my butt over, and I finally got to where I could press and and do that. It wasn't, it wasn't, wasn't fun, but, and again, it did, it just kept my mind occupied towards, um, towards the process and healing and, and trying to take care of my body the best I could and hopefully give myself the best chance for some type of recovery. Uh, but there were, there were so many times that, uh, that I was always offered an excuse for the day. I might, I might start my morning puking into a bucket the nurse brought and say, well, you probably better not go to physical therapy today. And I would always say, yes, I have to go. Like I have to go. And there's much worse than throwing up. <laughs> and, and I would still go and, and make my way down to physical therapy and, and give the best I had. And, and I, no doubt once I was, once I was home, um, I did take a pretty good vacation slash rest of just, you know, letting my body finally take a little bit of a break, but then I got into outpatient, uh, physical therapy and, and continued on that, that journey, which I did do for about two years. Uh, and I did gain, I did gain some twitching and some muscles. I did get, uh, to where I couldn't lift my leg up when I was sitting down, but I could get to where I could almost kick my feet off the foot plate in my wheelchair. If I really, really tried. Wow. Wow. Well, what, um, I guess backing up from that point, just a little bit, what was, you know, what was life like when you transitioning back to, like you mentioned, you went home, like, were you, were you living at, at Ohio state at the time uh, of the accident? And because you said you were just about done with your degree there. Um, and, and I think you mentioned you went back to your, to your parents' house um, immediately after coming out of the hospital. But I guess what was, what were things like getting back into like your new reality and the, the, into the real world? Yeah, I actually hadn't even made like housing arrangements yet for that last semester. So I was back home working for the family business. And I actually had made the conscious decision of, of trying to um, work through the fall because my family business is in concrete. And I thought, well, you guys need me in the fall. I'll go back in January when things are really slow and so I made that conscious decision not to go back and graduate, which I would have graduated just before the accident had I gone back for that uh, quarter at Ohio State. And, uh, um, and so I was home. So when I got back from the hospital, um, I actually just stayed at my parents' house, as I said, and kind of that's when reality really set in. This is my house. And my room was actually upstairs. And so then I had my brother's room that was downstairs that I stayed in. And and reality just hit for me. Like there was no surprise back home that, hey, it was all a dream. And I thought it was like almost a movie where if you got back to home, it would finally click and, and you'd suddenly be back to your life. And it just wasn't. And so I will say I did have, um, at that time, my brother, as I said, he actually went to college early. He, he, he graduated high school early and left for college. And so my mom was kind of an empty nester, but then I felt like the baby of the family because she did just uh, take care of me during that time. 
and did a lot of things for me. I, I know uh, as far as like getting up and getting dressed, all the nurses wanted her dressing me and doing everything for me. And I said, no way am I, you know, going that route. And they said, well, you're going to have to, she's going to have to help you go to the bathroom and all these things. I said, no, I will figure it out. And I, and I, I did, but, but she drove me around. I didn't have my driver's license, of course. And um, she drove me everywhere. A lot of times I would wait for her after physical therapy and I'm waiting for my mom to pick me up, you know, and, and it was, she always reminded me though, as you know, millionaires and billionaires, they have people drive them around and you're getting that service, you know? So I'm like, yeah, people hope open the doors for you. And I'm like, that's what rich, you know, the, the, the famous people, rich people get. And I'm like, okay, yeah, I'll, I'll just take it as a positive thing. Have people that run in front of you to open the door, you know, <laughs> and, uh, uh <laughs> that's a good way to look at it for sure it definitely puts a positive spin <laughs> on things yeah and I needed it when when I'm waiting outside telling people my mom's picking me up I should have just <laughs> said my driver's coming they're on their way but yeah. um, well, that, that was probably helpful for her too in her you know morning to be able to, to um you know have that that bonding with you um and, and with your situation going on it really it really did and I know for both of us, it was challenging because I would tell her things for me, the pain I felt wasn't as bad as it actually was. You know, if I was a 10 out of 10, I'd say I was a six out of 10, even though it was horrible. And it wasn't any different for her that, you know, she wasn't a 10 out of 10 emotionally. She was a six, but I, I you know, we could always tell we really were tens, but we were trying to help each other get through this process. And it was, uh, she was the rock, you know, that, that carried me as I started to really come to grips with what my life was going to be. But like I said, I had a lot of support when I was back home. I actually, I remember that, that really dates me, but I, I think the Wii was pretty new, the Nintendo Wii. Okay. And, and I had, I had one and, and I spent a lot of time on there playing tennis and bowling and, and those kinds of things to occupy my mind. But it was also good because I would sit on the end of the bed and, you know, and play tennis. Probably help with your balance, you know? Yeah, work the abs and kind of get used to used to things, which, of course, it's funny because I, I would play a lot of video games in high school and college. And you're all of a sudden, it's like I'm doing physical therapy. It's like, oh, hey, it's been eight hours. I've been trying to balance up, right, you know, and, <laughs> and you forget the time. And so that wasn't any different. But um, I also, I was really lucky. I, I did have some really great friends that, that no matter what it was that I needed to get out and do something, that they would make those adjustments to make sure we could go to a game, which at that time, I think they've changed it a little bit, but I know it was a big thing getting seating at, at sporting events. And I remember going to an Ohio state, Michigan basketball game and, you know, being told I could only get two accessible seats, one for me and one for the caregiver that has to go with me since who else would go. Right. You know, it's like always demeaning that, yeah, your caregiver can go with you. It's like, well, what about my buddy that wants to just have a beer with me? Can he sit there or <laughs> has to be a, you know, nurse practitioner, but, no kidding. but we did, we'd find seats that were close to each other. People would rotate to sit, you know, sit with me and, and get to get out and do some of those things kind of make this, this new reality more normal and make it, you know, help me realize what 
other people had told me at the hospital that you're still going to have a great life. You can still do the things you want to do. And as different as, as it will be, you don't have to, I felt immense pressure. And I think most people do that. They have to have their body heal and they have to get to hundred percent and they have to be this or that, or get back to the way things were. And I slowly realized, you know, I don't need all that, that pressure, you know, and I don't think I could accomplish the things I have to or I have accomplished in life. If I told myself you have to do this or, you know, basically or bust basically. And, and, um, and yeah, and so I, I have been, I have been very blessed in that, but when I was home, I, um, I, I did, uh, it just came up with new, new habits and things that would make life, uh, a little more pleasant during the process, I guess, of adjusting. Yeah, no, that makes sense. Uh, how long after the, the accident were you able to get back and, and finish up your degree at Ohio State? It was about, it was about a year later, as I said, my mom had been driving me around, uh, almost for a year. I think it was the following summer. So six, seven, eight months later, she didn't want me to get my light. Oh, you don't need one. I'll drive you everywhere. Well, in September of the following year, 2008, I went back to school. I finished my degree in December. So it was just, just under a year for me to, to get back and do that. But I got my driver's license found living arrangements in Columbus to finish my degree. Um, and then, uh, yeah. And so I, yeah, December of 2008, I was able to get back and it was, uh, pretty, pretty awesome. I mean, it was, it was more of an accomplishment with that. I, I actually had to, as a senior in business school, get up and do presentations in my wheelchair. And that was at that time, uh, just, one of the hardest things to do. I mean, I, I hated getting in front of a class regardless in front of any group and talking and having everyone stare at you, let alone being in a wheelchair. And now I'm in front of you talking. And, and, and that was, it was a really powerful thing, but it was also a really challenging thing to do that. And so I grew a lot from that, as I said, getting to this, this new normal and this new life. Um, that was a big step, uh, interacting with other students, going places. I mean, a lot of times I would just use my wheelchair across campus because I didn't want to have to wait for the handy van to come pick me up or the handy van's late. I'm going to miss the presentation. So I would cruise across um, campus and then I would get the, like, I would always say, this is, that's not the first time I heard that today when they would say, Hey, don't be speeding now. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I think we've all heard that one. <laughs> like, hey, I've never heard that one. Good, you know, and, and I do realize people, they actually do, they want the interaction, but, and I'm the same, I'm awkward as heck regardless, but I can tell that, you know, they want the interaction, but they don't know how to, to interact. And it's like, well, it's not, you know, and so, but part of me says I would rather get razzed about that than ignored, you know, so. Yeah. I do take it, uh, take it well most of the time, but I did, I, I love getting back to school. And I was going to say, one of the cool things was having the president of the university actually, uh, through one of my friends sent me uh, a t-shirt. And I said, I remember I, um, actually called the president of Ohio state, which was Gordon Gee at the time. And I had met him a couple of times, but just in passing as most students do. But, um, 
but I said, do you want, do you want me to get better or do you want someone to injure me <laughs> at Michigan? Because <laughs> he sent me this red Scarlet Wild State shirt. <laughs> but he, he handed me my degree personally uh, when I got back down to school. And, uh, and I actually got a really great picture of him knowing that, that my brother was playing football at Michigan of him like he was going to hit me, you know, <laughs> and, and I have my degree and my cap on. And, um, and I actually remember I had a maize colored shirt on under my gown. So that's why he was like, you know, I could <laughs> really smack you. And, uh, but it was, a, you know, kind of a full circle event that, Hey, despite what I had gone through in that year, I got, I went back. I never knew even forgetting the walking aspect or what was going to happen in my recovery. I didn't know if I would get my degree. Like you know, life comes to a standstill and all of a sudden everything you had planned and everything you wanted to accomplish just stops and, and you have, to, you don't know, you know, and that's the scary part is not knowing. Right. Yeah. Um, I, I can completely understand that. Yeah. It's a, it's, it's definitely a life altering thing. So, uh, you know, fast forwarding just a little bit. So your brother's at Michigan um, playing football, you said he graduated early and, and enrolled early and you're finishing up at Ohio state and kind of doing outpatient rehab. When do you go to Michigan to, uh, to Ann Arbor? And, and then I want to get into like, I, so I, I, I heard about your story originally from, uh, from my guy, Nick Lucius, friend of the podcast. Uh, yes. who's a great, great guy. I mean, he's uh, Dr. Nick. Yeah. He's, he's amazing. So, um, you know, and then I've seen uh, interviews with Mike Barwis. When did you, when did your, your path cross with Mike Barwis, who at the time, I guess, was a strength and conditioning coach at Michigan? He actually, I want to say, as I was in the hospital, and I do mean, I mean, I think it was a New Year's Bowl game that Rich Rodriguez was named as the new head coach. That's when that coaching staff found out they were going to be coming to Michigan. And so in February of 2008, a bunch of coaches actually came to watch me at physical therapy, or at least they came to visit me and I was at physical therapy and they came down. I think there were six or seven of them. Uh, Elliot's offensive line coach, the wide receivers coach even came to the hospital. And, it, and of course, Mike Barr was the strength coach who I didn't know at all at that point. Um, I will say a week before that, uh, and it was actually Super Bowl Sunday, coach Rodriguez visited me in my ho uh, hospital room and I was shocked because as I said I had just watched him at the New Year's Michigan's bowl game I think they were playing I think they were playing Tim Tebow actually I think they were playing the Gators in uh in the bowl game they were in and anyways I just you know and of course coach Rodriguez was the biggest story out there at that time and I had just seen him the week before and then now he's in my hospital room which was pretty surreal in itself. And, and it also just made me think none of this is real. This cannot be happening. Right. Whether in, the, in that scenario was a good thing, but you know, in the other scenarios, there were terrible things, but, but I was like, this can't be my life right now. But, um, but he told coach Rodriguez had told me that, that I could come visit the team anytime and that, that, you know, he would love to have me there. And he did mention that, that, whenever I wanted to come out with them on the field, I, I could do that. But he did specifically say, I could, he's like, one day you'll walk out there with us and it'll be amazing. And I remember that. And I thought I was even amazed that it was Super Bowl Sunday and this guy, he cl clearly would have better things to do than be with me. But um, I was really impressed by that. 
until sometime later in January or maybe early February, Mike and the other coaches come. And, and I remembered because I was working out on my left arm, which is what I did a lot because it was my only good appendage is my left arm. And so I worked that out and, and he said hello and, and told me that, Hey, when you want to come work out with us, we can get you walking again. And I just remember my physical therapist cringing like you do, you know, and she, and I could, I could see her tell him like, Hey, Hey, hey don't, you don't say this is spinal cord injury. This isn't one of your ACL injuries or something. This is a serious thing. And I remember him nodding and almost, it seemed like it deflated him, but it, it deflated me kind of like, Whoa, Hey, that's, I want to do that. And then it was like, Oh, you know, he's like deflated, like, Oh, he has spinal cord injury, but he didn't, he was like, so when you want to come, we'll get you up walking. It'll be great. And, and, and she just was like rolling her eyes, like, shut up. Like, you cannot say that to somebody. Right. And I, and while I would tend to agree on one hand, what Mike did differently and, and also Nick the same way, whenever he would say those things, like they put action behind them. I mean, he hounded me and getting to your original quest. And that's when I first connected with Mike. I would see him intermittently, but it wasn't until about two years later where we were starting to have these discussions about not making progress. Insurance isn't going to pay for these things just forever. You're not making functional progress. And, and so things got a little more serious with Mike that, hey, they want to kind of end the journey as far as physical therapy. And I know you've mentioned having me work out, but it was like, do you really want to do that? Well, it wasn't a passing gesture of, Hey, stop. If you're ever in town, come by my house. And then you call and I'm like, well, I got things going on. I can't, you know, he, he meant it and he bugged me about it and said, please come work out with us. I'm begging you to work out with us. It's not, we'll do you a favor. It's please do me a favor and come work out with the team. We'll love it. It'll be awesome. I want to do it. And, and so it was about two years after the accident, it would have been uh, in late 2009 um, and I was still living in Columbus at the time, but I started driving to Ann Arbor. And the only thing he told me was, is if you come up and you work out, you can't quit. Like you can't say, okay, it's too hard. I'm done. He's like, and it was a very, as much as I kind of awkwardly chuckled, it was a very serious conversation. Like I will find you. And it was almost like Liam Neeson. Like, and, and we kind of, kind of laugh. It's I'm not joking. Like I will come to your house and I will drag you back here. And it was like, okay, like seriously? And yeah, I love and I, it. but I, I was that serious too. I think he wanted to really gauge my commitment that you're not just doing this for fun. I've had a lot of people say, man, I wish I could work out with, with Mike Barwis or I could work, work out with Nick. And I, I'd be like, no, you don't. I mean, there are some that you would, you really would love to, but I, but I'm like, you don't really want to, you know, a lot of people would like, and they had told me, man, I wish I could practice with the team. And I'm like, no, you don't <laughs> believe me. I, and, and again, very few people. I'm like, Hey, if you're going to the gym five days a week and doing all, yeah, you probably would love that. But for most people, no, you, I mean, unless you want to puke in a trash can, you can do that at home, you know? And, and, uh, and we did, I mean, I went, I got to the point after the first week or two, he said, let's go. He's like, I thought I was failing at everything. He sat me on an exercise ball and just kind of stood back and I just slowly rolled off it just fell to the ground which you know I only fall like 12 inches I remember my mom just screaming 
It's like, I just fell 12, like I'm fine. Yeah, you know, I'm all right. <laughs> porcelain doll, but I thought I was failing everything and Mike was just pumped up. Okay, I know what, we, what you can do and I know what you can't do. That's all I need to know. And so he wanted to bump me up to five days a week, which again, I still was kind of in this robotic mode where, yeah, I'm going to work out five days a week. Like I barely could get through two a days in high school, five days a week, let alone coming up here, which he did. He just said, just come stay throughout the day. They gave me time to rest and, you know, I'd eat, I'd have stuff to, you know, Gatorade, all this other stuff to pump me up. But, but I would stay there all day and I'd stretch, work out, rest, work out, watch team practice, work out. But we went five days a week. I'm like, yeah, sure. Whatever. Like I've already been through physical therapy, which is the hardest thing. And Mike told me, he's like, all we got to do is do something harder than physical therapy. We got to work harder. And so I did. I mean, it was it was sometimes six days a week. I'd go in on Saturdays, work out. I mean, we had times that the janitors would come in to shut the lights out and the lights are going out and we're still in there because he would say, we are not leaving until you do X, Y, or Z, whatever it was for the day. And And it was absolutely incredible. And I really did learn, you know, at that point, I like to say I give 100%. And I'm a hard worker. I had coaches bring me back to talk to teams and said, Brock was the hardest player I ever coached. Like he was, he worked hard. He outworked everybody every day, showed up early, stayed late and all those things. But it wasn't until I worked out with Mike Barwis that I actually probably did give the 110%. But I realized I never gave hundred percent prior to this. Like when I got with Mike, it was 100%. It was, I, I can't tell you how many times we were trying to do squats and I had like tears just coming out of my eyes. And it was like, I'm not crying. Like I'm, you know, and I'd be smiling. I'm not crying, but I would have tears coming out of my eyes from how worn out I was. And when they would finally tell me, okay, now you're done. And I would probably tell them seven or eight times, like I'm toast. There's no fuel in the tank. And I'd go seven, eight more times telling them, okay, now I'm done after that set. Okay. This set now I'm done after this. And then after, and then I eventually just stopped telling them I'm done. Cause I know they're, they're not going to agree until they say I'm done. And, and so I did, I, that was a hundred percent. And then I finally realized what a hundred percent actually is. And, right. uh, and I, and I do thank God for guys like Mike and, and Nick that, and he, of course, when I met Nick, he Mike told him, he's going to tell you, he's not, you know, I, I got this or that, or he's going to tell you, he, he doesn't usually do this much or what you just, you push him harder than anybody that any of the athletes, anybody, and he'll be fine. Like, you're not going to hurt him. You're not going to, you know, piss him off. You just, and so, and Nick had that same thing in him and I can't do it. I, I watch them work with other people. I could not push someone as hard as they do. So, I mean, it takes a special kind and really it is funny, but it's like, you have to love that person to, and believe in them to push them as hard as they do. And yeah, absolutely. Well, Mike seems like one of the most motivational people. I mean, I've ever seen interviewed or, or anything. I haven't had the, the pleasure of uh, speaking with him yet on the podcast, but I'm hoping we can, that Nick can make that happen for me so, at some point in the future here. But, um, you know, I, I love that what they do at, you know, cause now they're with uh Barwis methods um, that, that they, you know, and, and I mean, I'm, I'm assuming that you're the, you're the patient zero or whatever for yeah. their, for their, yeah. uh, their situation there. Cause I mean, that, that's what it is. And, you know, Nick made it sound like, cause I'm, I'm blown away. Like, I think that would be so cool to get to like work out next to, 
either, you know, high level college players or professional athletes or whatever the case may be. And that's what they do now at Barwis Methods is that they, you know, have people with neurological issues uh, like spinal cord injuries and other things working out right next to the Olympic athletes and college athletes and pro athletes. And it's like, what a cool just atmosphere to be in, you know, cause you're probably pushing each other. And, you know, what, what kind of motivation was that for you to get, you know, seeing like your brother and, and these, these high level athletes working out and you're, you're, you know, busting your butt just as hard as they are right next to them. It, it was, there, there's not a replacement for that. I mean, you watch a good uh, movie, you know, if it's Rocky or something and you're pumped up like that, but that's, I mean, it's every day you go in that gym, it's like that. But even when you go home, it's like that because it's like, Hey, I have to go back and work out with that athlete or this athlete. And it, and it pushes you to perform at a high level. And especially we have just the best guys that work out there. They're not these jerks, you know, that you might hear about that do this or that. They're just the best people. And, and especially the, the biggest ones, the ones people have heard of go out of their way to, you know, not just talk to me, but I mean, to talk to what we call our first steppers that work with Nick and they're there to get better and recover as much as they can to reach your full potential. But they go out of their way to really connect with that person. Not just say hi to be nice or not just to give them a free photo of them. I mean, it's just they, they want to know their story and what they've gone through because that drives them, too. And I really do think that that pushes their athlete athletes because they they hear these stories. And I think they would tell you the same thing that it's really these superstar athlete. It's their privilege and their pleasure to work out with these guys. But obviously I would say the other way I'm working out with these great athletes. It's my, it's like, no, no, it's ours, you know? And, and so it is a, a two way thing, but especially like you said, working with my brother and those guys, I really made me feel a part of this team. And that was one of the hard things I found is again, like I said earlier, you feel like you're the only person in the world that's ever gone through this situation and ever had to deal with it. Maybe because you don't have someone, you know, really close to you that, you know, that has gone through that, but, but you find them as you, as you go along. And so, and I had as well. And, and that was really special to me is to be able to work out with those and help them along their journey because I was, I mean, it, I was really, really blessed. And as hard as I've worked, I do realize that I, I never could have done it on my own. I never would have pushed myself that hard at home. I never would have reached the, the places I've gone had I not had those people come along the way. Of course, most of which being Mike, but uh, many others along the way that have helped encourage me. But these pro athletes are just amazing. And you don't get that from going to just any gym. And I, I've seen some great uh, physical therapists and some great uh, hospitals, certainly. But it is, when I was in the hospital, it was very, nobody wants to be in the hospital. Nobody wants to be in physical therapy. And that, that makes it very difficult to do the work you have to do. And I, I tell that story a lot because a, there was a lady when I was an inpatient that was older, an elderly lady. And she would literally scream no the entire hour we were down there. And it's almost impossible to do anything when someone's just no, no, just nonstop. It's hard. You can't get more negative than that. And these athletes are yes, yes. They're uh, probably one of the best stories with working with the athletes. Uh, I, like I said, having a team member or somebody go with it 
um, I had a, a really good friend, Chris, that came down from Canada. He actually crossed the border every day to come work out with me. He was walking in a walker about the time I was trying to get away from the canes, maybe walk with a different cane. And, um, and anyways, we would, we would race around the building. It was the slowest race ever, but it'd be a half hour to go like a quarter mile. But, um, but we would race around this building and the pro athletes would always come out from whatever they were doing to come cheer us on to the finish line and just have the best times. And as miserable as I was, those are the moments I love because, uh, it was finally a chance to compete and finally a chance to have somebody right there along with me going through that struggle. But those athletes, you know, they did, he was in my situation, but those athletes didn't have to be, but they wanted to be a part of the, the, the growth and the progress. And I just, I love that. That's so that's very cool. So two years after, after your injury is when you start working out with Michigan at Michigan, um, you know, what, what's the time frame from there to when you're able to like get up and start walk, like taking some steps, um, is feeling coming back at this point is, um, you know, how, how does the, like, what, what's kind of the time frame of, of you getting up and, and walking and able to take some steps and, and things like that? So like, like I said, like after leaving the hospital, I started to feel a lot more of the numbness in the paralysis. And it kind of scared me because like I said, then all of a sudden I could, you know, hit my leg with my fist and just nothing. And that's a really scary thing. Cause it's like what, you know, and, and even like the phantom kind of pains would go away, the random things and here and there you'd have a poke or two, but it was kind of a scary thing. And so going up to the point that I met Mike, like I said, I had, I had some twitching in the muscles. I could kind of kick my leg out. Like when the doctor would test, test your reflex on your knee kind of flare out if I really tried. Um, but I also feel, I felt like I had some sensation. I might pull some leg hairs out and I think I kind of feel some warmth or something. Um, I did, I did actually have, I think in that, that first year, uh, when I would take showers with like hot water, I could actually feel warmth on my leg. It was the weirdest thing. Cause it's like, I can't feel the water, but I could feel the warmth or obviously the opposite if it was cold like I or an ice cube like I would feel the cold but not the ice cube it was it was kind of a weird thing but I did start to get that back from the numbness but it was a very slow process of um, I always remember even the, the first two years uh, my brother would sometimes um, hit my foot under the table but I could it was almost like I could sense it, but I couldn't feel it. And I'd look under the table and he'd be on my, he, on my foot. I'm like, Hey, that's my foot down there, you know? And, and anyways, up to this two year point, I started to not just sense that my foot might get, get hit or hit something under the table, but I could, it's like, I can think I can feel something, you know, and, and gradually some of those things were happening. I was doing a lot of acupuncture and I do, I, I don't know, I don't get it. I still don't understand it but I did get a lot of good results from that, um, from the needles in my legs, I would start to feel some warm type of feeling. And, um, from year two to three, when I started working with Mike, I actually remember starting to feel needles when they poked me and they were actually quite painful and they weren't when they were in my arm, they felt it was no big deal in my arm, but I could feel it. My legs, it was a painful needle. I started to get some of that pain back, but I will say at the same time, uh, Mike wanted to get me off some of this nerve medication because it would block the nerves and we're trying to wake them up. 
And the doctor said, it's fine. She said, you're just going to start feeling some of these nerves again, and you may not like it. And, and that's what we did. And so this, the feeling I would say was actually a much slower process. But when I started with Mike, I mean, we really, I, w- I was blessed again. He just tried a lot of different things. Some things didn't work, but I really started to get that leg to kick out. And I would say after maybe three months with Mike, that muscle that was already kind of twitching and most people thought, well, you're not going to be able to build up a twitch to anything of, you know, purpose, but, but Mike did, I, I got to where I could actually kick my leg straight, and hold it straight out when I was sitting down, you know, just sit there and I could kick the leg straight out and then he'd push it down. Um, and then the left leg, I think was a little slower, but it, it caught up at three, four months later, it's doing straight kicks. And, um, and this would have been at the end of, of, uh, 2009, but going into 2010, that's when really when we started going five days a week and, and my, my body was already tired from physical therapy, but, but I would, you know, we, we work on hamstrings, which I didn't have any hamstrings, no glutes, none of that. Um, and, and we, and, you know, he'd start to get some twitching he'd start to get, you know, something going, but as he would typically the, the sensation would follow. Uh, I do remember he would always work on my glute and he'd, press into it with his thumb and almost do kind of a massage type of thing and try to feel the muscle twitch as I was glitching out, you know, I'd, I'd always tighten my back up or arch my, or, you know, shift. And I just couldn't reach down far enough to get to that glue, but eventually I would, I mean, he would tell me I, I, he'd feel a twitch or whatever, but usually it was a few weeks after, or even a month after that I would start to feel a thumb just digging in there and just, okay, I don't like that, you know? And, 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 and that really how I really started to get muscle back was all I thought about was, you know, basically clenching the muscle to push that finger away, like get it away from the, you know, the bone in my muscle, you know, like just flex so that it, it goes away. And, and that's how we made a bunch of progress, but that was probably, I would say, as far as like you said, I, I, I had gotten up a lot in leg braces um, prior to meeting Mike, and, and those were miserable, the, uh, the Forrest Gump braces. And, uh, and I mean, it would take me a long time just to set up for that, but I'd walk for maybe five or 10 minutes and just be completely worn out. But, but with Mike, uh, I would stand up with my arms, with my legs just kind of dangling open, you know, with no support. Um, but it probably in that between years two and three with Mike, I I finally got to the point where we were putting a little bit of weight on those legs. Um, and I do mean a little bit, I, I had gone down to, I think like 170 and then built my weight back up to like 210, which is a more normal weight for me at the time. But, but just put a little bit of weight on those legs. Um, I, I still, even going through 2010, I couldn't, I couldn't stand necessarily, but, but I could carry some of that weight. You know, that's when I really, um, and I would say about seven, eight months of working with Mike is really where I felt like I started taking real steps. Like, uh, and as much as my arm, I would be in the lost strands in those crutches and I'd be holding my whole body weight up, but I could really, I could slide that leg without a brace or anything. I could slide that leg, you know, just a half step or a quarter step and then slide the other one, that quarter step, and then, and then just press a little bit with that knee that, um, that I had gained back the the quad that I had 
I'd, I'd press a little bit with that and just kind of shift the weight a little bit from my arms and then and move that other leg. That's really when I started to um, have something real back. You know, I, I think there was a lot of times I would tell myself, hey, this is great. But in hindsight, I'm kind of like it wasn't, you know, the real the real thing of what I wanted to, to accomplish. Yeah, well, so from and then from that point, you know, I know. So you mentioned earlier, Rich Rodriguez came into your room when you first were injured and said, hey, one of these days, you know, one day you're going to come lead us out of out of the tunnel or come out on the field with us, lead us yeah. out of uh, out of the locker room. Um when did that the plans for that kind of come to fruition and and that that goal be put out there in front of you we had i think early in 2008 january february um right after football seat that football season had ended um i was still working out of course and that was what was funny too it's kind of like they have a little bit of a break after football ends it's kind of like okay well that's the end of the season see it well, I was still in there working out and there were some other people I think that that's continued to work out some didn't but it was just kind of a funny thing because I'm still there and I can't remember when you know spring or when they go back maybe maybe they do even in February they're back working out some in the gym anyways in the weight room and of course like I said I never left I'm still there um, but I think people uh, players specifically just you know just kind of talk hey wait, wait, that's pretty cool they're helping him out what I mean what's what's that all about? Like, what's the purpose of that? And I kind of think somewhere along the line, and I don't think it was Elliot, but somebody just, I don't know, maybe he's going to come out on the field with us, you know, cause he's, he's part of the team basically, but it started to kind of like, and I think someone may have had, Hey, are you walking out with us? Or, you know, opening season or what? And I'm, yeah, well, I guess I don't, there's, I just want to walk again. I don't know. And, uh, right. but I do, I remember Parker who was uh Mike's right-hand man, he, he came over one day and I, I can't remember, I think I had finished a workout and, and at that time it was kind of a crazy thing, but I, I didn't bring my wheelchair in the weight room. I crawled around the weight room. And, and so I was, I think I was going to crawl back out to the chair and well, anyway, Parker told me, he's like, Hey, get up, let's go. He's like, coach wants to see in his office. And I remember the first thing I thought was, Oh shit, like what I do, you know, like what do, and, and I thought, and then I thought, well, he can't kick me off the team. I'm not even on the team. <laughs> like, what am I worried about? But, uh, but I remember he's, and I was going to crawl to my chair and he said, no, 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 no. We'll get, we'll put your leg braces on. You can walk up there. And I'm like, no, that's fine. I don't need to, you know, he's like, no, no, you're not going up, you know? So, and so we would put the leg braces on. And of course, it, you know, I'd have the walker. So I do like the, just move it like 12 inches. And then I'd like waddle you know, a few steps with the, with the leg braces. But anyway, we went up to his office and, um, and he was just, you know, asking how things were going and everything. But then he said, I, uh, he's like, I really want to ask you if you'll lead the team out for the opening game in September, which of course I'm like, yeah, that's awesome. Like, I would love to do that. It'd be great. I mean, and I had, of course, at this point, I, you know, I had just graduated from Ohio state and it's like, okay, I'll lead the Michigan football team out. Sure. Why not? And it, and you know, there were still times I knew this was my life, but I was just like, wow, this is just like, crazy things, you know? So I'd take them in stride and say, Hey, I'm just going to accept them and love it for what it is. But anyways, he said, I, and I, by the way, he's like, I'd like to tell the team and everything. I don't, I think, I don't know if it was that afternoon or the next day, but 
they were breaking a huddle for practice. And he, um, he said that, and I was walking outside with while the team's practicing or something, doing my workout. But during the huddle, he's like, Hey, this guy right here is going to lead us out opening game. And of course everybody starts cheering. And at that time I'm kind of thinking, I'm walking in these braces. I don't, it would literally to walk what I had to walk. I mean, it would have taken like 40 minutes, which would just be awful. I don't want, I told you earlier, I don't like being watched and now I'm going to be stared at for like 30 minutes walking, you know, I'm like, I got to get a lot better than I was, but it, it put a lot of pressure on, which I think actually helped in my progress. But so they had, they had a countdown clock for the first game. And I think it was like 200 days or something like that. But for me, it was my countdown clock, you know? And, and so every day it was like every tick of that clock is one less second you can prepare, you know, to walk out. And, and Mike, of course, was all for it. Um, But he said, you're not going to be wearing these clunky braces for that. And so that even turned it up another notch and it was more intense. And there were even times, and this is probably, I mean, it really is rare, but it's like, there are times I wouldn't leave. They'd say, Hey, you're done. Like you're totally, you know, that's, that was a good day you put in. I'd say, no, like I want to get back on, uh, you know, the, I'd be on the power plate. They had this vibrating plate that would help your muscles recover or, or I'd want to stretch again one last time, you know, or I'd want to do another set of squats, just the motions, just to feel it. And there were times I would tell them I got to, you know, be ready for this, but, um, but it was a huge lead up. And I mean, I, I did more and more. I, and again, I was super blessed. I was super lucky. I had a lot of things that would go for me because even if my left leg was weak, the right leg would have something really good where I like, boom, I felt like I could feel that leg pushing me back up, you know, suddenly. And then I would want to do it again and again. Like I want to feel that, that, that muscle really lifting me up. And, and then, like I said too, and then the left hip, then all of a sudden I could really lift the left hip up. So I was almost trying to do like high knees standing in a, in the frame, you know, I'd be holding up myself, my, my arms got <laughs> really bulked up at that time, but, but I'd be do, trying to lift that left leg again and again, because it just, because it just clicked that day, you know, and things were going good and we'd, we'd build on those things. And, uh, and we really did, uh, we worked our way down. I, I wore AFOs, the ankle braces, and um, and I used two canes. And I probably at least more than I would say more than half the time I would fall down walking on the turf the way I had planned to do it. Uh, but they they just always told me like if you fall down, just get you get right back up. Just keep on walking. They'll just keep on cheering, you know. And he's like, it'll get louder, you know. And uh, and it was a, it was a heck of a buildup. It really was. Um, yeah. How, uh, how nervous were you on the day of the, of the game that you led the team out? Uh, terrified. I mean, uh, you know, I was, I was afraid to give a presentation in my wheelchair. Now, now I actually have to be actively physically doing something, you know, standing, walking, and then having not 30 students of my peers, 30 of my peers, you know, that, that are in my class with me, but uh, 113,000 plus people. And, and they, they are going to announce that we actually did a run through on Friday before the game, because I didn't realize that, but you know, their schedule is tight. You know, it's like, uh, at 11, I don't know, 1144 Brock announced 1145 Brock walks to banner, you know, 1147, like two minutes later, he touches banner. 
Them 48 team runs out to touch banner and then 12 noon national anthem plays, you know, it's like, it's like, okay. And I don't remember, I might've had even seven minutes, but I think it only took me like three, but. So we, yeah, minutes, we, all, we only have three minutes for you to get up and, and yeah, get so out there before. Uh, so, yeah. So they're yeah. like, that gives you, and we would time it too, because for me to fall, which when I would fall, I mean, they actually trained me to fall. So I would, I would kind of collapse down and then I would help myself back up. But they, they're like, you have time for one of those. So if you do it twice, now all of a sudden you're 30 seconds over and you're going to get ran over by a football team. But, um, but no, I was terrified. I was absolutely terrified. And, and I really was going through my mind is like, okay, how can I back out of it and not have to do it? Cause it was, it was scary. I wasn't really, I wasn't really scared about the falling down part. It was really just being announced and having to be in front of that many people like that. I was not, and especially after three years of kind of being, uh, you know, I just, I felt kind of like a hermit, like, cause I did stay home a lot. I didn't like to get out. It was harder for me to, to go interact with people for a while. Um, but I do remember Lisa Salters was actually at that game and I had worked with her on my E60 for ESPN and, and she was at the game and, and I just remember her randomly coming up to me and, and I think she could tell I was scared to death. We were, I was actually down looking on the field and everyone's warming up and I'm like, okay, I got, you know, 25 minutes until they want me back in the tunnel and then I can come back down or whatever. But I just remember I was looking at the crowd, watching the team warm up and I, she just walked up from nowhere behind me and she goes, Hey, you know, you know what, Brock, like, this is pretty awesome. And I'm like, I know it's very cool. And she's like, it reminds me of my, uh, and I believe it was, um, I want to get that right, but I, I believe it was her first NBA uh, broadcast where she was on, on court reporter. And, and if I get this right, and I'm pretty sure, but, um, but she was down, down there and nervous as heck. And she said that Kobe Bryant, like walked up and was talking to her and just talking to her. And basically she said that was like her, her moment, you know, and she um, felt way better after. And she was basically telling me that's what I'm doing right now. Like, you know, to not be nervous. And I thought that was, uh, just really a cool, cool moment prior to that. And it did really relax me. I also had Mike pumping me up. Like, you don't care what any of these people think. Like they're all, everyone's cheering for you. He said, he said in, in five minutes later, somebody's going to be booing somebody out there, but it's not going to be you, you know, it's going to be the other team or player. He's like, you're going to be fine. And I actually did. I, it was, I mean, still to this day, coolest moment in my life, really. I mean, and it wasn't just because of, all the hoopla it was actually the grand reopening of the stadium so they had a flyover and and um fireworks and all this stuff i was like oh you guys didn't have to do all this for me you know <laughs> but um but it wasn't all that it was really this almost three years you know that uh since the accident there was like here's a moment that we can just own this moment and and just say despite everything that had happened we, we get this moment, you know, for ourselves and, and we get to share it with everyone, but it's a good moment. And, you know, I'd always thought for something so bad to happen, there wouldn't be anything good to come from it. But I always, that was always my prayer is that have something good come from this, have something positive in the future for me. And, you know, and this was that moment that, Hey, you know, everyone said like, I mean, it's like my dad can't come back. Hollis can't come back. And also you can't walk again. And it was like, this is the one that had 
some sort of chance just to change something. And it wasn't really about the walking so much as it was, I want to decide what my future is. And this will be something to say that even if someone said I can't, I will. And then I, then it's basically opens the doors to what, what can't you accomplish then? And, and, and it really was a surreal moment. I, I feel like I was on one of those moving paths at the airport. Like it was so easy. I felt like they were bringing the banner to me. That's how easy it was. And in my head, I'm thinking, I'm hearing Mike in the background saying, you know, pick, like, pick up your speed, stop milking it. Like, you're just like, yep, let me hear, <laughs> let me hear all the applause, you know? And I wasn't, I, but I was absorbing the moment. But what was weird is I lost all sound and I literally, I never had tunnel vision like that, but everything was blurry. It was just me and this banner. And, and I swear it's the, what was crazy is I, as soon as I made physical contact with the banner and touched this, this MGO blue banner, my, my vision came back and the sound, it was like, I came out of the water and all of a sudden I could hear the crowd again. And it was, and it really was, it was like, that was the symbol of, of my goal. It was like, this is what I've been working on. And like I said, giving a hundred percent for the first time in my life. Like I, I probably do do a good 92% or 93%, but this was absolutely 100% of what I could give. And, and I touched the banner and it was like, there it is. Like I've done it. And and I had done the run through the day before, but that wasn't, that was not the moment, you know, this not was the, the same, moment. Huh? Yeah. And, and there's nothing I have in life that, that is even close to what that is. I think other people can look back and they can find that moment in their life where, and sometimes I, I feel really blessed because I feel, I feel like a lot of times in life, we don't know how critical a moment is. Like when I met Mike Barwis or whatever it is that changes your life forever until way later. And you look back at it in that moment, touching the banner, I knew right then it was this huge moment. But what I didn't realize was it wasn't the accomplishment part and the award part. It wasn't like, hey, I'm finish line kind of moment. It was like, this is a whole new world, doors opening everywhere moment that, that I could go do whatever I wanted after this. And in my mind, I thought I could just retire on some beach and sip a margarita the rest of my life. Well, that's not what it was in that moment. It was after I did this, now, you know, the world can be whatever I want it to be. I can do what I want to do. And, and it was that way. It's like, what do I want to do next? It wasn't just great. I did it and I'm done. I want like, what, what else can, can be done? And that kind of led to uh, the foundation and what Mike and, and uh, Nick do every day to me. And yeah, I mean, you have to think about it like that too. Like how many people's lives have been changed from working with Mike and Nick and Barwis versus, you know, that wouldn't maybe have never had that opportunity if it wasn't for you getting injured and, you know, coming into contact with Mike. So, I mean, that, that's an amazing thing, man. I mean, it, it, it's, it, it's, uh, it's definitely uh, an amazing, uh, there's a couple of different, um, I know there's a big 10 uh, network version of, of kind of you getting ready and, and going out there and, and making that walk and, and the, the E60. So I'll, I'll, I'll include those with the, with the pot in the podcast notes. So everybody can check those out, Absolutely. which are, are just amazing. And then, you know, what, I guess, what level of interaction do you have with Barwis now? Or do you still work out there? What's your, and what's kind of your level of function at this point? Are you, have you progressed further from, you know, uh, are you able to walk on your own? Are you still using crutches? Like, how's that working? 
Well, first of all, I ran into Mike's family. Actually, I, well, I actually ran into his wife and his oldest daughter at the Ohio State Michigan game this year. And oh, it was nice. so awesome because it really, it was, I actually, my brother had told me he was at the game, but I didn't expect to just run into him in the stands or anything. And, but I ran into his wife, Autumn and, and their oldest daughter, Hannah. And I, and I mean, I knew every one of his kids cause he had his kids right when we met and I watched all of them grow up. But I mean, it is like just randomly running into a family member, like, Holy cow. And he gave me a big hug and it was the first game he had seen from the stands but his kids wanted to be at that game. And uh, now he's in Florida, of course, and he works with the Mets. He works with the Red Wings too, works with a lot of UFC fight, uh, fighters. Um, and I actually got to go see Robbie Lawler, one of those guys in, in Vegas this year, which was just awesome. But, awesome. Uh, but I love staying connected with all these people I've met along the way. I did two years ago, pre-pandemic, of course, I was going to say it's like the before time as it were, but I did go down to work out with Mike himself for about a week and a half to two weeks. Uh, we also had a golf fundraiser down at the time. So I, I lived down there for a couple of weeks. I think I went for another week, uh, six months before that. And that's kind of what my plan was. Well, of course that kind of got scrubbed like a lot of people's plans, but, um, but I still do have plans to go down there and, and to work out and to, to interact. You know, I don't have, uh, you know, with things, obviously I was in a great time because I just finished college. So I'm in this transition period for a lot of people. They've already have their families. They've started, they're in school, maybe they're in high school or maybe they're in college. And so those do present challenges uh, for people. And I don't, I don't blame them. Everyone has to make those kinds of decisions of what priorities they make in life. And, and I never, ever, want someone to think, oh, hey, you have to give 100% towards the, the walking thing or physical therapy or any of that. You know, you, you look at that and you make decisions on what works for you. And I will say Mike and, and Nick's kind of taken the reins of that as well, that they've done an incredible job to make the, the workouts they do much better than they were for me. I don't think people throw on these weight vests and crawl around the gym anymore. I mean, it's not quite as grueling maybe, but I was the... Uh, not only patient one, but the guinea pig, I say, for the experiment. And they've learned so much. And so I do encourage people all the time to at least check it out and try it um, because they, they do, they make, they get progress for people so much faster when you're not applying, like, here's Mike's method and go, you know, one through 10, here are the steps. You have Nick meet someone and, and do just like Mike did with me and test things out. What can you do? What can't you do? And then how do we build you know, your specific system that's going to get you the fastest result to the best result. And people have, uh, you know, different goals as well, which I've realized it's, um, and certainly that's, what's impressed me is that people, it's not just walking, you know, people want to be able to do other things, especially quadriplegics that, you know, small things they just want to accomplish and they get those and maybe they go back to doing what else they were doing. But it's just amazed me the things that people have been able to do and the things they've wanted to accomplish and, and that, that drive that they have for it. Uh, but I do, I want to get uh, much more involved with Mike and, and especially with the fundraising aspect and my speaking I've gone to do, I want to do that more often. Um, that's picking up again after the pandemic, but, uh, but I do, I want to have more of an impact on people because I never thought what I was doing was going to have the impact. And now that I see that, it almost is scary to think, 
uh, as you said, what, you know, this, this has impact, impacted a, a bunch of people. And what if I had, and nobody would have blamed me to say, this is too much. Like, I can't, I, I'm not able to, and, and, and prior to this, I would have said the same thing that a lot of people told me. I, I couldn't handle that. I couldn't put myself through that. And, and until you're there and you, you see it and you have to do it. And that was my case. It was between a rock and a hard place. And I, I had to do it. And I knew I did down deep down in my heart um, that I had to do it and, and uh, found a way to make it happen, which I do. I do praise God for that. I don't think that it was just me, but um, as far as my own progress, I actually was able to uh, way back in uh, 2018, actually, I told Nick, I was going to come down for one of our charity walks. Uh, we had a walk and roll with a lot of clients, but a lot of other community members in Florida and uh, they had a 5k and they had a one mile run, walk and roll. But I told Nick, when they start the 5k, I want to do the one mile walk. So when they start the 5k, maybe I'll be close, you know, to being done. But, um, but anyways, I remember, uh, I was doing fundraising for that too. And I started, I started swimming a lot because what usually holds me up is I can't breathe. Like I can't keep up cardio wise. I get worn out too quickly, but my legs will go and go slowly, but surely I'm like the tortoise. But, um, but anyways, I told Nick, I want to do it without my canes, which at that time I had only walked a quarter mile, uh, in one pass. Um, but I just said, I'm just going to do that, which it was the first time I'd ever attempted it. And the only time I've ever done it too. But, um, but I remember I, I tossed Nick my canes at the start and started walking. And I think I took like five steps and I, then I kind of went down and I was, and I was like, okay, I, I'm just getting my land legs. Like, just give me a second. So I, I got back up, Nick helped me back up. I'm like, all right, reset. And then I walked about a half mile after. So I was like, okay, I told you I could do it. I just, I walked about a half mile. And I mean, I was, I was dogging it. My muscles were screaming, especially my lower back, just screaming. And, um, and I did a quick stretch and, uh, and he helped me back up again. And then I walked maybe another quarter mile. So I'm like three quarters of the way done. Uh, I might've fallen another five or six times towards the end. Cause I was just struggling, but it was about, I think it was about an hour. And usually when I give my, give my talks at crowds, I'm like, has anyone ever beaten an hour, a mile in an hour? And nobody raises their hand. Like, I didn't think so, you know? And, and uh, anyways, that was a huge accomplishment for me. But since then I walk with canes most of the time. Uh, right now we're getting some snow and rain and ice and all that good stuff. But, um, but I still, pre I pretty much um, just stick to the canes. Uh, I'll use a walker sometimes to carry things and things like that. Walk with one cane sometimes. Um, I change it up, but uh, most of the time that's the easiest way I've found to, to get around. And, uh, and it works pretty well for me. Um, and, and I always have to remind myself at times I get tired or things are challenging. Like it's, I've had a lot of times I'm trying to carry a drink and walk at the same time. Uh -huh. And it, and it becomes somewhat of a, but I'm like, Hey, I can do it. So what the heck if I, you know, spill a drink, big deal. But I, 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 try to push myself, but I'm working. I just finished my MBA up at Michigan, um, luckily during the pandemic. So I didn't have anything better to do. So it was a lot of studying, but uh, I got well, that. Congratulations, man. Thank you. That's great. Thank you. That's great. 
Um, so I've, I just have a couple questions left for you. I know we're, we're well over an hour already. I took a lot <laughs> well, of your time great. and I was planning. I, yeah, this has been great. Um, first of all, who are you rooting for, uh, Michigan or Ohio State in, in the game a couple weeks ago? Oh, yeah, Michigan. I was decked out. You know, I always tell my friends that I, I do really resonate with the underdogs, which unfortunately is Michigan every single year for the last <laughs> How many years now? I'd say it's been over a decade, probably, that they've been the underdog. But, um, but yeah, I, I just I love those guys. There's there's obviously been some staffing changes, and of course the players change every year. But there's a lot of guys on that staff that were amazing to me. Um, but on top of that, um, you know, they're always going to have have my heart. But I will say, my first year back at Ohio State as well, I I actually was in the hospital and I got a call from Jim Tressel. And I was just like, who the hell is this? You know, and I didn't say that luckily. The more I listened, I'm like, this is Jim Tressel. This is not, you know, my buddy messing with me. I mean, he called me, you know, and that was, I, and I did, I felt so blessed because there are not many people that, well, one that get, that graduate from Ohio State and then get a standing ovation at the big house in front of everybody. Ah. But also to have, you know, have Ohio State love me just as much. I mean, on both sides of that, I've just been treated um, amazing. And so I tell my buddies, I still, even going into bowl season, I got, I got to root for Ohio State and those things. And there's sometimes that, that after 10 years of getting beaten by Ohio State, it gets, gets kind of hard to cheer for them. But, but I do. I love it. I, you know, March Madness, want to see them win. And it is when, when it comes Michigan, Ohio state, I'm like, ah, Michigan. Yeah, you, you've got to be, you're probably the only person that everybody on both sides roots for, you know, like you yourself. Yeah. So. Well, That's after Michigan wins 10 in a row, then you can check in with me and say, Hey, who are you rooting for? The Ohio state's supposed to lose by three touchdowns. And maybe, maybe there'll be a little soft spot, you know, but, uh, but I am, I'm, I'm blessed by that. And, uh, but I, there's, I just, I'm so lucky to have, um, the people that I've that I've had put in my life that have I and I actually made it down to go to a practice and coach Tressel said I could come back but he he said not during Michigan week can't be here Michigan week and, I love it <laughs> yeah and it's just great you know people don't don't get to do things like that and I've I've often people sometimes ask me if I have a bucket list and I'm like I'm not I guess I'm not uh Actually, I'm a really optimistic person, but I'm like, I don't know if I'm optimistic enough to make my bucket list because I've had too many cool moments that never would have made the bucket list because they never, it'd be like saying, I'm going to go to the moon. Maybe that's a good one for me. I don't know, but I've had things happen that, um, that I just never expected. And I think it's kind of better that way, I guess, than to have a list and say, here's the things I'm going to do, just let them happen. So, uh, and then the one other thing, so with the keynote speaking thing, I, I didn't realize that you spoke at the uh, Republican National Convention in yes. 2016 until uh, yesterday, um, which is, I mean, that's a pretty big accomplishment, <laughs> and especially going from uh, somebody that was nervous speaking in front of, you know, 30 people in your in your business class back at uh, Ohio State to right. speaking yeah. in front of, you know, a, a most of the world, I guess, you know, at least most of the country tuning into something like that. So how did that come about? I mean, how did you get started doing the speaking? And then like, how did the Republican National Convention uh, come about for you? I, I actually had gotten a call about um, some sort of political involvement and I wasn't real keen to it necessarily to, to get, get that involved. Of course, even back then, things weren't quite as divisive as they are now, but 
but it, anyway, it never panned out. Nothing really came of it. Um, but then uh, I would say about, I think it was just like uh, maybe two months before that would have been in July that the convention happened in 2016. But I think like a couple months before that I had gotten a call and this lady, which usually you don't take those calls, but it's from um, Virginia. And I thought that's kind of an odd place or whatever. And like, I'll take this call. And, and the lady was asking if I'd have any interest in um, speaking at a convention and it was, you know, a Republican deal, but I didn't really get that it was the, you know, it was just a Republican thing or whatever, which I said, yeah. And I actually was speaking for Knights of Columbus in Florida at that time, or I'm sorry, maybe the week after the call, but it was like, sure I would. Yeah, absolutely. I would look into it. And she gave me dates and I still didn't know, but I'm like, yeah, absolutely. I would never turn something like that down. You know, I'd come speak and, and, uh, and she said, all right, well, we will let you know kind of thing. Like, if it comes up, we'll call it, we'll let you know. Well, I'm down at Knights of Columbus and this is probably a month, month and a half before the convention. And my, I'm speaking with one of my friends down there and he knocks on my hotel room door and, and he's like, keeps knocking. I'm like, hold on. Like, like, Hey, what's, what's up? And, and he had the USA today. He says, what the heck dude, you didn't tell me you were speaking at the RNC. And I'm like, what are you talking about? And he shows me, and I don't know if it was the front page or the politics page, or what, but there was a big article and it said who, and the title was like, right. who are, it was like, who are these people? And it had, I think like a, a, a female golf pro golfer and, and yeah. um, an astronaut and me. And, oh, yeah. and anyways, it had a full list of, of all the speakers and I'm on there, but I was in the headline of that saying, who's Brock Mueller basically. And then it had me in this list and it was only like two dozen people. It wasn't like a hundred people. It was like two dozen wow. speakers. And I was just like, what in the world? And in that same day, I got another call before we actually spoke in Florida. And it was that same lady saying, Hey, you may have already heard, but yeah, we have you booked for this day. And it was the last, it was Thursday, which is the last day of the convention, the biggest day or whatever. Right. I was like, no way. Like, okay, great. You know, and it was one of those things I just roll with, just like the bucket list thing. I never had that on my butt, but I'm like, hey, what the heck? You know, like this is who would have ever thought? Sure, why not? Well, when I did actually speak, I mean, I was trembling. And I I never really use like notes or anything for that. But for this, it was only like, I mean, I don't even know if it was two minutes. It might have been like a hundred seconds or something that I had, but um, but I was watching the teleprompter from the backstage and then, um, and I did have a sheet of paper that I was reading through because that's what would be on the teleprompter. But I was back and the, the paper was just rattling as I'm holding it, shaking, like what in the world am I doing? And, and then I did kind of just like, like just do this, you know, like just go straight face and then, and I smiled, but, but I walked out for it and you know, huge crowd of people, which, you know, it wasn't anything like the big house, but you're inside, it's a little different. And it's, it just makes it weird too, because they're all facing you and they're kind of right in your face and walk out there, read off the teleprompter, you know, and move my hands and that. And then, and it was I, probably one of the cooler things about that was getting to introduce Bobby Knight. And I remember because I actually had someone help me write my short speech and I said, hey, just a note, because they wanted to talk about states. Well, he went to Ohio State. You know, I got to go to Michigan, but he also coached at Indiana. So I brought some of those things up. But I said, you know, it'd be really cool 
is if at the end of my speech, I said, hey, I'm getting tired. Could somebody throw me a chair? And then, <laughs> that and, and she, didn't, <laughs> she didn't get it. And, and Bobby Knight was just going to be on a video screen, but I thought that made it even more funny. But, oh, but um, and I'm sure I've never met Coach Knight, but I know he would love it too. But, yeah. but she didn't get it. And then I told her and she said, no, that's, you know, it's almost like a little off color or what? I'm like, what are you yeah. talking? Like, that's just, that'd be classic. Anyway, didn't get to do that. But I did get to introduce Bobby Knight, which was awesome. And yeah. and what a night. I mean, I had a great time, met some awesome people, uh, met the first uh, female commander of a space shuttle mission. I mean, like, you know, I'm like, that's amazing. I actually met her husband first. He's like, oh, I'm nobody. I'm like, my wife's talking, you know, and I'm like, hey, could I get a picture with her? My, my cousin's a huge space love space and everything right. about it i got a picture with with her and in any way i was just great night but it was like what in the heck am i doing here and yeah, and, you're, and you're right you want to get over speaking in front of crowds like because people ask me that how do you well if you really were afraid of it how do you get out and that is that's like not the easy answer but you go get in front of the huge crowd and, <laughs> and you're you scare yourself but you get through it and then you do it again until you're not and i mean like I said, I was nervous for that and I still do get nervous a little bit, but when I speak for a regular crowd, it's a lot less scary. You know, you still have the nerves, but it's not, you're not terrified like I have been in the past. So that was a cool, cool moment. Oh man. Well, I feel like we could, we could keep talking for hours, Brock. Like it's, it's been super interesting, man, hearing your story and you know, I definitely um, appreciate you coming on and sharing such a, you know, just real and, and, and incredible story of you surviving and, and, you know, the tragedy of your, of your father and your brother's girlfriend passing away. And, um, you know, yeah, we just, yeah, thank you for coming on and, and, uh, I, I really appreciate it, man. Yeah, I, I appreciate it too. And I really hope we'll get to connect in the future and whether it's on a podcast or just hanging out. And, uh, and I just want to say, I love, uh, like I said, in, in noticing the impact that can have, the positive impact that can have on people, and, and I'm sure you're doing that as well, and I just think it's awesome that, that you share the, share this with people and, and invited me on to, to share a little bit as well. No, I appreciate it, man. I really do, and yeah, I would love to maybe uh, we can get together with Nick one of these days. Nick's, uh, I keep trying to talk Nick into the, the, telling him Barwis needs to open a, a new branch out here in, in Washington State where I'm located because we don't really have much like that. Um, out here right now so I, I keep uh trying to to leave little breadcrumbs for him to, to get out yeah. here so uh, hopefully that can can happen one of these days but yeah well anyway brock Mueller, i appreciate you man thank you so much it was uh, it was great and uh i look forward to talking with you again down the road yeah likewise likewise all right take care <laughs>